You're listening to Consolidate That Podcast. Hi, everybody. This is Consolidate That Podcast. We're having a first season and the first episode recorded. Today, we're going to talk about the very basic of a consolidation. We're going to talk about value creation plan and what the heck is that. Bill, thank you for joining me today. How's your day going? Oh, it's going great, Ivan. Uh, this is uh, this is a pretty exciting topic to talk about. Absolutely. So this is something that when we connect with consolidators, we have to establish from the very beginning. And the value creation plan is something foundational that they need to have and understand and will articulate to their investors in the clinic. So Bill, why don't you expand on what is the value creation plan in your sort of understanding and how would you explain it to our listeners? Yeah, at its most basic, it's a business plan, but it's a business plan that's directed towards investors as well as to potential practice sellers. And it's focused on, you know, how the consolidator is going to create value for both the shareholder as well as for the practice seller within a given time frame. So it is a pretty well-defined plan and it is focused on value. And understanding those two pieces is critical to then understanding how that value creation plan can effectively be used to guide all decisions from acquisitions to branding to operations and ultimately to an exit. Awesome. So, so where would one use that? So let's say I'm a, I'm a uh, brand new consolidator and I, you know, I created this business plan or value creation. Uh, I assume it's not going to be a 50, 50 pages, probably something more concise and, and easier sort of pitched and articulated. Where would the new consolidator use that practically? Yeah. So the, I mean, first it starts with a vision and a plan, right? And, you know, it's used essentially to garner interest and momentum to go from the concept of, hey, I think I can start a consolidator to go to potential investors, whether that's friends and family or whether that's, you know, private equity, high net worth individuals, whatever the plan is to fund. This basically is the foundation for aligning people, aligning the vision, uh, and then also attracting, you know, some of the core founders, uh, that are going to be instrumental to, to build this enterprise. All right. So, so if I'm understanding you correctly, that's basically something that I would go and say, Hey, Bill, I want to start a consolidation. And you heard about this in the, in the industry and it's attractive to investors, but I will tell you, this is why, and this is how we're going to make money. This is why I want you to invest into this business. And then it, it should basically explain how the value will be created when implemented. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's your vision, it's your mission, you know, to some extent, it may pull values if that's an element of what you're going to use to differentiate yourself as the field is crowded and well-crafted. It truly can be a template for the next three to five years as you navigate the ups and downs of consolidation. Awesome. And I think that you're forgetting uh, one more F. In my experience, experience building startups, there's friends, family, and fools that believe in your new initiative. But I think that uh, with the opportunity in the veterinary space, uh, there's uh, probably no fools in that because it's, it's, it's rampant and there's definitely an opportunity. So, so what are the components of value creation plan? What are the most typical things that people would include that, that it becomes so exciting that people just start investing money into veterinary consolidation? So the fundamental component is the arbitrage, which is the acquisition of small independent practices to become part of a larger enterprise. And so, you know, the first three to five practices 
get a consolidator off the ground, then once they get to 10 to 20 to 30 to 50, then they start scaling. And that's where the value is created. It's typically around EBITDA. So uh, EBITDA is the driving factor when it comes to the wealth creation for those that are invested and those that are partners. So the fundamental piece is practice acquisitions. Without successfully navigating that part, there is no other opportunity to create wealth. So Bill, if you can maybe break it down a little further to me. So if I spent money buying practices, now I have the business that is functioning and then I'm, I bunch them together. How does investor get their money? Because basically, okay, we spend the money on buying clinics. Where's the return on investment in this? Yeah, so if you're an early investor, you know, the expectation in the market is that you're going to get at least three times your initial investment within a three to five year window. You know, that could be as high as five or six. But as far as the minimum, the expectation is a 3x return. And that's that's pretty healthy. And while there are better investments that can be had, the risk is relatively low when it comes to veterinary consolidation. That always is not the case. Uh, there's been other verticals that have been consolidated. Human dentistry is, is one that did not uh, have a return uh, and had a fair amount of risk. Wow. Okay. So that is the arbitrage. So what, what are the other components of the value creation plan? Yeah. So the arbitrage piece is, look, it's M&A. It's mergers and acquisitions that you know most of the players in the space have a fair amount of experience with. And it could be in different verticals. It could just simply be in you know buying and operating businesses. The second phase is the more challenging one, and that is the operations. So you know once we've you know made the pitch, closed the deal, now we have to operate these practices. And this is where the value creation plan is critical. And this is where you get into the what can you do, what should you do, and what should you not do once you acquire a practice. And it depends on your operating model. Some consolidators, you know, simply are going to buy really great practices. They're going to create value for their shareholders through the arbitrage. And they're going to do very little with them post-acquisition, right? The goal is to not break them. Others will take the other end of the spectrum and try to improve margin. So same store performance. Whichever model they choose, that needs to be fully baked into the value creation plan. What we're seeing a lot, I you know, in the past at least year and a half working together is that because arbitrage is pretty straightforward and most people that go into consolidation, they know how to buy practices. And then the return on investment is there in the increase the multiple of the EBITDA after they consolidate them and then, for example, resell it to a bigger consolidator. Uh, but the second part is becoming challenging more and more because that's that's harder to do. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's harder on a lot of levels. The veterinary space is about 20, 22% consolidated. So there's still a lot of opportunity. However, the portion that's already consolidated contain a lot of the high performing practices. What's out there are smaller practices as well as practices that, that may have some concern for a consolidator. And so the opportunity for the arbitrage piece still exists. But what's becoming more important now is the margin expansion once you acquire these practices. And the model for how to do that basically doesn't exist. 
And there's a lot of reasons for it. It's the time frame that private equity is typically looking for a return on the investment within three to five years. It is very difficult to buy practices, integrate them, stabilize them, and then improve them, right, to any significant extent during that small time window, realizing that these consolidators themselves are brand new entities as well. So they are going through all of the growth phases that any business does while acquiring, you know, 100 to 200 practices, even 300 practices in some case. Uh, during that three to five year window. So you mentioned 20 plus percent, and that's what we're seeing on North American market. But you and I explored a little bit of European market, and it sounds like it's now north of 60. And it sounds like the pattern there changes right now, because definitely the best practices are already sold to consolidation. And now they're focusing more on the other part. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. And that was, it was really exciting to to take a look at the European market because it is so different. It's fundamentally different in many, many ways. You know, to your point, since 60% of all practices have been uh, consolidated, the only real opportunity to create value is through margin expansion. And when we looked into it, one of the things that we saw is that systems, processes, and data were pretty clean in these, in these consolidators. Whereas on, in the U.S. market, that doesn't exist right? Everything is fragmented. And again, our perspective is it's because of the immaturity of the U.S. market compared to the maturity of the European market. But it does offer us a direction of what the future of the U.S. market could look like. So what is happening, what I'm hearing you're saying is that right now, it's still sort of that gold rush of let's buy the practices pretty quickly, especially what I heard. And I'm using this uh, and stealing it shamelessly. But uh, yesterday we had an interview on the other podcast where someone said that veterinary medicine is immune to COVID. I love that because it seems like we are actually growing despite the pandemic. And then right now, a lot of people with all the market volatility are taking money off the markets and now reinvesting in something progressive uh, through COVID and veterinary medicine seems to be one of those areas. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt, you know, and that's, that's been seen through multiple recessions, 2008, you know, I, at that point had just built a new multi-million dollar hospital and was faced with the reality. This is an emergency referral hospital was faced with the reality that, you know, there was no idea whether that was going to basically close because of the recession. And while we did see a decrease in volume and we did see a change in, in consumer or client behavior, it was nominal. You know, it really was that human-animal bond that basically continued to bring clients in the door and they did what they could. And I think that's what we're going to continue to see. And that bond is only getting stronger. And COVID, again, uh, I mean, it's a uh, worldwide catastrophe, but on the veterinary side, It just shows the importance of, you know, pets to people and families. Well, there's there's a couple other factors that we observed is one of them is that uh, people spending more time at home with their family and uh, there's no pets in the shelters anymore. Every uh, all the pets are actually, you know, adopted. That's what I'm hearing from colleagues in the shelters, which is amazing. This is great, though. So we don't have no, all those dogs in there. But the other side of it is that not only there's more pet ownership through pandemic, but also now people spend more time at home with their pets. And then now those symptoms that they were uh, not observing at home while they were at work now 
now they're more prominent to them and they're worried earlier, you know, I've been, uh, been an emergency veterinarian, you, you know, your most common dog, do you think it's okay that my dog is vomiting blood for three days is probably not a thing anymore. And people come into the hospital a little earlier. And that's, that's, I think is another driver for it. It certainly is without a doubt. There is a dark side to this and it's the capacity of these healthcare teams you know, we're, we're seeing some of the stress and strain that that is creating. Uh, and there already were fractures. And, and so the positive to this, of course, is there's, there's no strays and shelters and that it's the human animal bond is, I think, stronger than ever. But I also have seen that veterinary practices are more open to change. And veterinary consolidators are taking that opportunity to implement change across their across their organization that otherwise uh, I think would have been very difficult to get traction. And what I'm talking about are new technologies like telemedicine, new ways of doing business uh, when it comes to leveraging the healthcare team, the support staff. So really fundamental differences in the way that veterinarians have traditionally practiced. This is basically accelerating what consolidators were asking for. Yeah, and I, I'm glad that you mentioned change because what we've seen with the consolidated practices is that the value creation plan that they want to implement is thrown at these clinics immediately after acquisition. And then when they're not change ready or when the the consolidators think that, okay, these are the changes that we need to do in order to achieve our value creation, but they forget that there had just been a significant change in the practice. They changed ownership. And that is one of those hardest things on the value creation plan on the operational efficiency side, because now you have people that the team was just stress, stressed, the leader changed, the leader was disempowered because, you know, they, they were thinking that they were getting paid, their career established, and then all of a sudden their employee in the facility where they were at, in charge. And that's where we see all this problem with people leaving the practices where they should be considerably improving the margin. So, so that's one of those stressors that we see. Yeah, you're, you're touching on, I think, what our next podcast is going to be about, which is the do's and don'ts of consolidation. And, you know, one of the things that I, I think that there's a bit of a blind spot is the amount of change that a practice goes through post-acquisition. And a lot of that is concentrated on the management team or the leadership team of the practice. And it can be a great experience if there's alignment between the culture of the consolidator and the practice and the value creation plan is not tone deaf to the challenges of the day-to-day -day practice operations. I've seen great experiences across the board. I've also seen pretty bad experiences when there was lack of alignment, uh, when there were foundational weak spots in the practice prior to acquisition. Like anything else, right? If, if you are faced with a stressor and that you don't have a strong foundation, you're more likely to have significant negative consequences as a result. And so it, it goes back to the value creation plan of what type of practices are you acquiring? You know, are you looking at culture, part of your diligence, or is it just financial? Do you understand how the, how the practice that you're looking to buy, you know, how they create value for their clients and if the way that they create value is different than the way that you create value, you probably shouldn't partner with them. And, and that I'm seeing recently more and more consolidators doing a deeper dive on diligence when it comes to people, culture, you know, alignment, because I think what they're finding is that 
it's very difficult to replace employees when they leave the practice post-acquisition. And revenue drops very quickly if you lose some key people in the practice, particularly doctors, of course. And that's a risk that consolidators realize that they have to minimize. And that also depends on the strategy. So some consolidators actually prefer that, as we've seen, and their strategy is to replace the the owner uh, as soon as possible. But those are more those that replace everything. They replace the systems, the data, the processes, and they do just complete turnover. And those that rely on the existing owner to continuously be incentivized to drive the value creation plan, those that are suffering if you implement too much change early in the game. Yeah, so that's a good point. Those groups that come in and change everything tend to be, they grow organically. They tend to be slow growers and and they may acquire two or three practices a year versus, you know, two to three practices a month or four practices a month or six practices a month. So again, it goes back to the value creation plan. Are you creating value through arbitrage and acquisitions? If so, the post-acquisition change has to be relatively light. Are you creating value through performance enhancements? Uh, then you can buy practices that are poorly performing, transform them, uh, and create value that way. Uh, but it is a much slower process. Yeah. And there's the concept that we've been kind of toying around and talking to consolidators, the difference between this uh, value creation strategy and value creation plan. So can you sort of parse those two for the listeners and open a discussion on that? Yeah, that was an aha moment that we had. I don't exactly remember when, but, you know, typically it's talked about as a plan and a plan traditionally is, you know, a well-defined structure to achieve a particular goal. And when it comes to the acquisition side, it it truly is typically a well-defined plan. When it comes to the operation side, it is traditionally more of a strategy. And it usually goes like, we're going to increase margin by lowering the cost of drugs and medical supplies. We're going to improve, you know, labor management. We're going to do a better job with marketing. So those are strategic at best, probably more aspirational. There's certainly not a plan. They're not tactical. And what happens is while they sound good and they look great on a deck, If you go in and try to improve your COGS because, you know, hey, I think we can buy drugs at a lower cost, there's a significant impact on the practice as well as the enterprise if you want to do that at scale. If you're doing that in one or two practices, it's not that hard. Over 50 or 100 or 200, you need to have a true plan, the right systems, the right processes, and you have needed to communicate to the practices prior to acquisition, that this was part of the way that you were going to create value. It can't be nothing will change. And then all of a sudden I have to change all the drugs and medical supplies that my staff uses and my clients expect. That's sort of a very important point that we've observed is that once you have that in your deck, you should have a process. And that sort of, again, kind of dips into our next topic next week. But but you really need to, uh, after you articulated what it is, you need to have a subject matter expert that can create a process around how you're going to achieve that. Because if you're just going to say, we're going to have 
better marketing. Well, then how do you implement better marketing? How do you roll it out? What is the time of return of your uh, investment into this process? Is it within the window of your private equity fund? Like, isn't, is it within that three to five year? If you start improving, let's say, uh, search engine optimization, that's a long process. So if you start implementing it across all the hospitals, it can cost you a couple grand a month if you use an external vendor. Is it going to give you a return on investment fast enough? So aside from just having a strategy, there needs to be a well-articulated plan and put in perspective through a very precise project and and program planning as you acquire practice, determine which one needs that change and then that change implemented and understand when it's finished and then measure it as well. And that's sort of the art, I think, of converting the value creation strategy into value creation plan. Yeah, I would agree. Marketing is challenging. You know, marketing and veterinary medicine is local and centralizing marketing is often part of what consolidators, you know, do. And that alone creates significant friction. So it's, it's really understanding the nuances of the business and what drives uh, performance at the practice level. And then the consolidator also having an understanding of what is their capacity? How do they create value? And young consolidators that have a plan to grow rapidly create most of their value through the arbitrage. As they mature and they become more stable businesses, and they understand their market, and they can uh, target practices better, then the opportunity, I think, is much greater to improve practice performance. Yeah. And sort of, I I wanted to summarize what we've talked about and break down the two, because I was kind of toying with the math on this sort of uh, sheet of paper here. So to break down the two, and Bill, correct me if I'm wrong in my thinking. So if I'm if I'm approaching the practice that has a revenue of about $1 million, we'll just use square numbers to articulate what we were talking about. Then if the EBITDA of that practice is 15%, essentially you can buy that practice now at a, you know, uh, about 10x, let's say. So you have 150,000 of EBITDA. And then if you buy it at 10x, this practice would cost you to buy one and a half million dollars. So you invest that amount of money. And then if you continue consolidating, there, there's been exits recently that we've seen in the last you know, two, three years that were easily in the area of 20x. So if you didn't improve the second part of value creation plan, you just took a one and a half million dollar clinic and then you sold it at 20x and you sold it for three million. So that easily doubles uh, the price of that practice. So that's just the first part. That's the arbitrage. But the second part opportunity is the uh, improving the margin. So if you expand that 15%, again, using square numbers, let's say to 20%, now all of a sudden you can sell the practice at 20x, 20%, and that would come up to about $4 million. So in two, three years after consolidating number of practices, you can buy practices at one and a half million and sell at $4 million. Is that the two to three turn that you're talking about, Bill? Was I correct there in my calculation i'm not checking your math um (laughs) i was looking at the paper i was cheating so yeah uh, let me dissect that for a second so you're correct in just about everything and i think the point to drive home is that yes there are a lot of practices out there that have a 15 percent ebitda and those are opportunity practices right because there's an opportunity to bring them up to 20 percent a 20 percent ebitda for a you know any practice is certainly reasonable, but the majority of independently owned practices are under 20%. What's the maximum that you've seen? Sorry to interrupt you, but what's the maximum that you've seen practice like like fully functioning, full steam? 
Yeah, that's a that's another good question. Yeah, so I've I've seen them in the mid 30s, Whoa. but that's another that's another podcast. <laughs> so uh, it it is possible. Uh, the question is, is it sustainable? And the other question is, if you're a consolidator, should you buy one of those practices because they have nowhere to go but down? Typically, back back to your point though. The driving force is exactly what you said is that, look, if I buy them at 15% and I improve them to 20 and then I get 20x on my enterprise EBITDA, right? I've just doubled my practice level EBITDA. And so you could see from a value creation, private equity, shareholder point of view, why there's so much desire and energy to not only acquire, but then also to improve performance. Right. It, the, the math is the math is uh, intoxicating uh, when you start looking at it. Uh, and it's that it's that intoxicant uh, of EBITDA that often drives the uh, energy behind, you know, implementing change that may not necessarily be a positive change across the organization at a given time frame. Doesn't mean that that change and opportunity can't be implemented just means that the timing on the capacity needs to be understood before it is uh, implemented. Awesome. Well, I'll summarize that. This was an episode on value creation plan. And we talked about two different types of value creation, arbitrage versus margin expansion. And we talked about uh, which one is faster and uh, potentially easier. And then the importance of having value creation strategy and then the plan, how you will deliver that to the practices. There's there's a significant opportunity in the veterinary market, but there's an art to converting your strategy into a plan. And with that, we'll conclude our first episode. And next time, we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts of the consolidation at different maturity levels. Bill, thank you for your participation. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Consolidate That podcast. If you want to hear about our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at vetintegrations.com. Stay safe.